Hello, everybody. Welcome. As we continue on in our study through the Bible together, and uh, quite a journey. We're over eight years in. We have done the entire New Testament. That took us almost six, and now we've been working in the Old Testament. We've done Genesis. We've done Exodus, and now we're in Leviticus. And uh, I told you when I when I started Leviticus, you know, five or six weeks ago, I actually, as I studied, was was looking for a shortcut because it's uh, it's Leviticus. You know, I'm like, how can I skip like Leviticus and Numbers and then press right into Deuteronomy? But even as I began to study Leviticus um, for that, I I quickly realized that Leviticus is quoted a hundred times in the New Testament, and so you just can't dismiss it. It's uh, and um, it's important in lots of ways. Now, in effect, it is the sort of uh, rule book, if you would, for the Levitical priesthood, which Jesus has superseded. So um, it's, it's, you know, it's no longer in play. But there's a lot of things from it that we, we can learn from. And I think perhaps the most important thing that we learn from Leviticus, one of the most important things, is uh, how bad sin really is. Um, what a disruptive thing it is and destructive and, um, you know, what it did to our relationship with God, what it does to our relationship with God, and the great lengths that they have to go to at this point in time to be, um, have their relationship restored to God uh, and um, how fortunate we are in Christ because he was the once and for all perfect sacrifice so we don't have to constantly come with animals to be sacrificed in our place and there would have been a constant uh, mess and smell and you, I, I, you know, to try and even imagine what it was like to deal with sin at that point in time and there's something about reading these things that were happening in Leviticus I think that helps us to never take for granted, to never take lightly what we have in Christ. And, and as you read Leviticus, you know, you'll, you need to see that and the, the detail and the lengths of things that were going on and how all of that has been um, settled for us in Christ. And I was reading, um, and uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I quoted him the other day and people were like, who's that? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a, a pastor in Germany who was executed by Hitler's regime just towards the end of the Second World War. And uh, he wrote a lot, and his, he, a very powerful writer and speaker. And um, he, he wrote about this um, process of make, being careful that because God's unconditional love for us is so amazing, and what Jesus has done for us is so amazing, and, and um, forgiveness comes to us, in, in, you know, so freely in Christ that we never take it for granted. And uh, he wrote this. He wrote, Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. 
Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of His Son. You were bought with a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon His Son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered Him up for us. So there's, uh, you know, there's just something that we need to be aware of as we read and as we read through Leviticus that I hope will sort of just constantly remind you that if you take nothing else away from this book, what Jesus has done as the perfect once and for all sacrifice. And that, you know, reading Leviticus will help you really understand Hebrews um, when you get to that there in the future. So, the Jesus' blood and sacrifice um, has made a way for us to be free before God. And, um, and we can be free in Christ now. But what about as we're reading about that, the people of ancient history, the, the people before Christ came, and how were their needs met by God? And what happened with them is it was, it was through the blood uh, of a sacrifice that was a symbol of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's happening here is it's all symbolic of what's going to happen in Jesus. And the um, different offerings that we've read about so far in Leviticus covered certain things. We read about the burnt offering. And, and that burnt offering celebrated the idea that, that man needed to be delivered um, from the justice and judgment of God in order to be reconciled to him. And so that sacrifice was met in the burnt offering. Um, man needed after that to give thanks uh, and to have a higher purpose to which he could totally dedicate his life. And that was met through the grain offering. Man then needed to grow in the peace and fellowship of God. And that was met in the peace or the fellowship offering that we talked about. Man uh, needed to secure forgiveness of sins, and that was met in the sin offering, and then man needed to be set free from the anguish and the heavy weight of, of uh, sin and, and the guilt that came on us, and that was done in the guilt offering. So all of these offerings are taking place that we've been reading about up till this point in time. We've got to remember that that's all been done for us in Jesus and how important that is. All right, with that said, I'm going to read Leviticus 6. We're actually going to move through Leviticus 6 and 7 today. Because the, the, there's quite a bit of scripture, but the, the first seven verses of Leviticus 6 sort of deal with what's left of the sin and guilt offering. And then from verse 8 in chapter 6 all the way through the end of 7, it's sort of the instructions for how the priests were to carry out these different offerings once again. So let's read, and then I'm going to talk about it a little bit on the other side. Um, it should, uh, the first, chapter 6 will show up overhead. Seven isn't in the notes. I'll have to read it to you. I don't think we got it on the thing. So here we go. Leviticus 6, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, If anyone's sins is an unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving his neighbor about something entrusted to him or left in his care or stolen, or if he cheats him, or if he finds lost property and lies about it, or if he swears falsely, or if he commits any such sin that people may do, when he thus sins and becomes guilty, he must return what he, was, what he has stolen or taken by extortion or what was entrusted to him, or the lost property he found, or whatever it was he swore falsely about. He must make restitution in full, add a fifth of the value to it, and give it, to, give it all to the owner on the day he presents his guilt offering. And as a penalty, he must bring to the priest, that is to the Lord, his guilt offering, a ram from the flock, one without defect, 
and of the proper value. In this way, the priest will make atonement for him before the Lord, and he will be forgiven for any of the things he did that made him guilty. So we're going to hit those first few verses in a few minutes, but let me read the rest of the passage, because there is a, it's about dealing with sinning against our neighbor and what happens with that. Verse 8, Then the Lord said to Moses, Give Aaron and his sons this command. These are the regulations for the burnt offering. The burnt offering is to remain on the altar hearth throughout the night till morning, and the fire must be kept burning on the altar. The priest shall then put on his linen clothes with linen undergarments next to his body and shall remove the ashes of the burnt offering that the fire has consumed on the altar and place them beside the altar. Then he is to take off those clothes and put on others and carry the ashes outside the camp to a place that is ceremonial clean. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offering on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. These are the regulations for the grain offering. Aaron's son are to bring it before the Lord in front of the altar. The priest is to take a handful of fine flour and oil together with all the incense on the grain offering and burn the memorial portion on the altar and its aroma pleasing to the Lord. Aaron and his son shall eat the rest of it, but it is to be eaten without yeast in a holy place. They are to eat it in the courtyard of the tent of meeting. It must not be baked with yeast. I have given it as their share of the offering made to me by fire. Like the sin offering and the guilt offering, it is most holy. Any male descendant of Aaron may eat it. It is his regular share of the offerings made to the Lord by fire for the generations to come. Whatever touches them will become holy. The Lord also said to Moses, This is the offering Aaron and his sons are to bring to the Lord on the day he is anointed. A tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a regular grain offering, half of it in the morning and half in the evening. Prepare it with oil on a griddle, bring it well mixed, and present the grain offering broken in pieces as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. The son is to succeed him as anointed priest shall prepare it. It is the Lord's regular share, and it is to be burned completely. Every grain offering of a priest shall be burned completely. It must not be eaten. The Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron and his sons, These are the regulations for the sin offering. The sin offering is to be slaughtered before the Lord in the place the burnt offering is slaughtered. It is most holy. The priest who offers it shall eat it. It is to be eaten in a holy place in the courtyard of the tent of meeting. Whatever touches any of the flesh will become holy, and if any of the blood is spattered on a garment, you must wash it in a holy place. The clay pot the meat is cooked in must be broken, but if it's cooked in a bronze pot, the pot is to be scoured and rinsed with water. Any male in a priest's family may eat it. It is most holy. But any sin offering whose blood is brought into the tent of meeting to make atonement in the holy place must not be eaten. It must be burned. Now that's the end of chapter 6. Those kind of regulations continue throughout chapter 7, and it's the same kind of thing. And the reason, I, like I said, I want to make sure that you, you hear and see that and understand what's going on there is that's what it took. The detail of the things that were happening in order to be, uh, have your relationship with God somewhat restored at that point in time with this constant process taking place, carried out day after day after day after day after day. This was the whole process and the entire issue. And so... This goes on throughout verse uh, and uh, chapter 6 and 7. And so I, I don't think I need to read you all of chapter 7. You can, you can read that um, later on. But uh, I do want to talk about that, that little offering there, the thing that was happening in the beginning of chapter 6 in those first few verses. And so another sort of category of sin is brought up, and it's the sin against one's 
neighbor. So in these offerings that we've been looking at in the first uh, seven chapters, six and seven chapters, um, there's, there's things that have happened so far. There was the sin, sins against the holy things of God, the sins of breaking God's commandments, and now the sins against one's neighbor. And in effect, those three things sort of take into account all of the type of sin that, that we, can, we can commit, all right? It's kind of covered in one of those three classes, under one of those headings. And the point that needs to be made, and why they, what, that I want to make sure you see, is that no matter what we are guilty of, no matter what sin we've committed or how terrible the sin, even then they could be forgiven and set free from the guilt. So there, there was no need for anybody to suffer under the weight and anguish of guilt. And that God loves His people, and that was why He made a way for them to be delivered and set free from guilt. He didn't want people walking under it. But He never wanted us to take it lightly. He never wanted us to think it was no big deal, because it's a huge deal. And it's still a huge deal. And, and so in seeing what it used to take before the perf perfect sacrifice was made, I think it's helpful to see what a big deal it is. And so what, what a, a, a sin against one's neighbor was actually considered, it says in Leviticus 6.1, a sin against the Lord himself. And, and, uh, and, and so it, it, the person trespasses or unfaithful to the Lord. It means to break faith, to deal treacherously, to, to commit a, a terrible transgression. And that's what the, the sin against one's neighbor um, was considered. And so when you sinned against your neighbor, you, in effect, you broke faith with your neighbor. You dealt treacherously with your neighbor. You committed a transgression against him. You sinned against him. Um, and it was a big deal. And he gave some examples about what some of those sins look like. And these were, I guess, fairly common. And, and they were in verses 2 and 3. Um, they listed this. Lying about borrowing an item or, uh, or trust that was left in one's care. So if you borrowed something and you broke it and, and you didn't make right by it, that was a sin. Or if somebody, you know, had you keep something for them and you didn't take care of it, that was an issue. Stealing or cheating was a, was a big deal from your neighbor. It wasn't supposed to happen. Finding lost property and lying about it was an issue. So, you know, the, you know we have a thing now. It's kind of funny. That a lot of people, well, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. You ever heard that? And a lot of people think that's how it's supposed to be. But, I mean, just because somebody lost it doesn't mean it ain't theirs. <laughs> like, if you, have you ever lost something? You still think it's yours? Unless you can ever find it? I, I certainly do. So I, had to, I, had to, I was dealing with a young guy one time, and he had found a phone. And, and he quite to quote that to me. Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. And I said... No. <laughs> Give me the phone. I'll tell you who it belongs to. No, I don't want to do that. I'm like, no, it's, no, he said finder's keeper. I said, that's not real. <laughs> and he was convinced that that was real. I'm like, dude, that's not real. It ain't finder's keepers. But apparently they, they think that it is. Uh, swearing falsely, committing any sin that a person, you know, can do. All of those were considered to be sins against our neighbors. And, um, when you, when you did those things, there was a way to be freed from that guilt that uh, was happening in that process. And what needed to happen was they were to make restitution in full. And restitution in full was a pretty big deal. 
They needed to return whatever it was that they'd stolen, extorted, or had been entrusted to their care, or that they'd found, or that they'd sworn falsely about. They were to return it. That wasn't enough. They were supposed to pay 20% interest. They were to give a fifth of the value over on top of it. And um, they were supposed to make restitution on the very day they confessed that sin and came up with the guilt offering. So they couldn't just sort of skip around and get to the guilt offering part and not go and make it right with their neighbor. And if they were sincerely repentant of what they'd done, they would want to go and make it right with their neighbor. They'd make some sort of plan to at least make things right and pay it off. And, and, uh, and really, that was the test for a person's where they really repentant. You know, did they want to make it right or did they just want, you know, sort of to get out of the, the deal? So that was a pretty big deal. And again, they had to approach God through the sacrifice, you know, through the priest, a perfect ram in this case, no blemishes or defects, full value, costly sacrifice. The result at the end of the sacrifice was a freedom from the guilt and a restoration in the relationship with God and their neighbor. And so all of those things point to our relationship in Christ. And um, the promise of God, because He wants us to experience life with Him, it's real and effective. The, you know, when we have sinned, um, we can be forgiven for anything that, that we have done. And, and we don't need to be weighed down by guilt. We talked about that last week. Uh, and we don't need to be under condemnation. What we have to do is approach God, um, and now we get to approach Him through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. He was the perfect sacrifice and bore anguish of sin and guilt for us. And, and so we give our lives to Him, we believe in Him, we trust in Him, we ask Him to forgive us and remove our guilt, and, and, then, um, and then, you know, we, we press on doing the things that we can do and, and living for Him the way He's called us to, never perfectly because we're not there, but trying to do the next right thing. And He promises that He will work with us through that whole process. We call upon Him and we continually call upon Him and, until um, He sets us free from whatever it was that continues to move us in a bad direction. And, and, um, and so amazing promise in Him. Romans 8, 1 through 3. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering, and so He condemned sin in sinful man. Huge deal, Romans 8, 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So whenever the enemy tries to work guilt on you, remember that that's part of the process. Hebrews 9. Remember I said after reading Leviticus, Hebrews will make way more sense to you. Verses 13 and 14. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. Sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. So, again, it's the idea of uh, how amazing it is that we've been forgiven, that, that we can continually um, go to the Lord in Christ 
and find life and the fullness of life so the enemy can't beat us up with guilt. Then those last, the, the end of chapter 6 and all of chapter 7 is sort of the, what the priests were doing um, was they were in effect proclaiming the good news of God that, that as people had gone through this sacrifice, they were free, that they were restored, that they were cleansed. And um, this was a huge deal to be restored to God. And that's what was happening. And so, in effect, the priests then were sort of the, the preachers of good news that God had made a way for them through the sacrifice to be restored. But all of those sacrifices were just pointing to the ultimate sacrifice, which was going to happen in Jesus. And um, this still goes on. The priest today is still to be the one who shares the good news of God, the gospel, uh, that God has made a way for people to be saved and restored and reconciled to, uh, back to God. And the only difference is that today, you and I are the priests, all of us. The Bible says you, you come and know Christ, you're now in the priesthood. You're part of the royal priesthood, and that's our calling. And so we get to share this amazing good news with people that we meet, that God has made a way for us to be restored and to deal with the mess and the brokenness of our lives. So that's our, our special duty today, and it always has been, and it's all a picture of that. So those are some pictures from Leviticus 6 and 7, and uh, we'll look at some more stuff when we get back together next time. But that's good for today. If you're watching my video, thanks for watching. Come and visit when you get a chance. We'd love to see you. If you need prayer, go to the website. There's a prayer page. We'll pray for you there. And we'll see you soon.